Hey, are you into werewolves, mad scientists, and a little bit of witchcraft? Then stay tuned for an all-new episode of Watch Corner. We're riding this train straight into the sun. Woo! Tune in to a classic episode of Watts Corner on the Seltzer Kings Network. Available on all podcast platforms. We're on the third floor on a hill, and we're in Manhattan, Gavin. You're safe from the hurricane. Ass. The following podcast contains... Only I didn't say fudge. And for gosh sake, watch your language. Watch your profanity. Right, I'm sorry. Explicit language. Hello and welcome to the podcast that asks a simple question. When you decided to do a show about a pop star with a rabid fan base, what the hell were you thinking? I'm your host, Dave Bledsoe, and this is a Friday, September 8th, 2017. Oh, look what you made me do edition of the show where we talk about the politics of dancing, the politics of ooh, feeling good. Stay tuned. The What the Hell Were You Thinking podcast is brought to you by Bob's Build-A-Band. Modern pop music is about your brand, and Bob's Build-A-Band helps you build that. Our dynamic team of image specialists will help you craft the image that sells. We will build you from the ground up with an eye to marketing your best self to the people who pay. Major advertisers. Bob's Build-A-Band will tell you what to wear, where to be seen, and what to post on Instagram, and how to be the best you that ad dollars can buy. All you bring is the music. No talent? No worry, Bob's Build-A-Band can buy that too. Use the promo code SELLOUT before you begin at checkout and receive a free demo CD from by some poor kid in Bangladesh who can actually sing. Bob's Build-A-Band. I just called to say I love you. Do you have it? Yeah. Great. We have it. Great. Can I have it then? No. No, you can't. Why not? Well, it's sentimental, tacky crap. That's why not. Do we look like the kind of store that sells I just called to say I love you? Go to the mall. What's your problem? Do you even know your daughter? There's no way she likes that song. Oh, oh, oh. is she in a coma? Oh, okay, buddy. I didn't know it was pick on the middle-aged square guy day. My apologies. I'll be on my way. Bye-bye. Fuck you. Nice, Gary. Really, really nice. It was just top class. Rob, top five musical crimes perpetrated by Stevie Wonder in the 80s and 90s go. Sub-question, is it in fact unfair to criticize a formerly great artist for his latter-day sins? Is it better to burn out than to fade away? You're fucking broke, man. Jesus, he was going to buy one record, which we didn't even have, and then leave and never come back again anyway. Not the point. What did he ever do to you? He offended me with his terrible taste. It wasn't even his terrible taste. It was his daughter's. Are you defending that ass muncher? Come on, Rob. I'm one of those people who replied to the question, so uh, what kind of music do you like with uh, shitty music? No, no, seriously, I love bad music. Let, let, let me put it like this. You know those songs that routinely top the list of worst song of X decade? Well, those are the songs that I like. There's just one song universally reviled by everyone that I am literally not allowed to mention on the podcast because it would cost me listeners that I simply cannot spare. No, it won't. Forget it, Dave. Add to this that I don't listen to modern pop music. Apparently there was some call called Desperado or Dispatch or Despaccio that was a huge thing this summer 
that I honestly have no clue what the fucking song even sounds like, which makes me like the least qualified person to weigh in on this week's topic. And yet here we are. Yeah. Because, uh, you know what, rather than talking about the pressing issues of the day, like the fucking horrible cancellation of the DACA program, or that even as I record this, Florida is about to be scoured from the face of the earth, instead, I'm going to talk to you about Taylor Swift. You know Taylor, she's like the trendiest New York resident, and she's, the, I guess, dropping her new album next week or sometime soon. Yeah! And that album is causing some consternation amongst the musical cognoscenti who are not at all sure if it's going to be, uh, good. What's worse, Taylor Swift, who once stood beyond reproach for being cute and so... Very white. <laughs> ...is also a topic of debate as to whether or not she, as a person, is, uh, good. For those of you like me who are just really too old for this shit... Here's a little background about Miss Swift. She was born in suburban Pennsylvania in 1989, according to her album title. And then the young Miss Swift moved to Nashville with her family at the age of 14 to pursue a career in country music. Nashville is where you go when you want to be famous, but you don't want to risk sucking dick on a porno film in Simi Valley if you don't make it. And a lot of people think Nashville is like a safety school for fame, but I know from people who know that Nashville is fucking cutthroat competitive. Or that's what that one Indigo Girl song said that time. Nashville, did you give me half a chance with your southern style and your hidden dance away? You dance away, you dance away. Taylor did manage to find her way to success with her pop-centric sound, great voice, and country music look. You know the country music look. She's thin. She's blonde, pretty, very, very white. It's the generic country music canvas that anything could be drawn on. By 2008, she was nominated for her first Grammy, and her career was destined for the stratosphere. Unlike most contemporary artists, particularly those of the modern Nashville, Tay-Tay actually wrote her own music, incorporating her life struggles in heartbreaking tunes of loss and exposition, quite often calling out whatever dude she'd recently broken up with. She's kind of like Alanis Morissette, but without all the anger and references to sucking cock in a theater. By 2014, she crossed over into pop music divahood. She moved to NYC and just started making a shit ton of money. America! But it's not the music that makes Taylor so controversial these days. It's because Tay-Tay has got beef. There was, of course, the infamous Kanye call-out during the VMAs in 2009 that started the whole thing. I I'm really happy for you. I'm going to let you finish. But Beyonce had one of the best videos of all time. Oh, God, those were such innocent days. We were so simple back then. There were apologies between Kanye and Tay-Tay. There was more beef. There were some lyrics where Kanye said he made the bitch famous. And Taylor called out Kanye for being sexist. And then Kim called out Taylor for being a liar and produced the receipt showing that Tay-Tay was okay with the lyrics that Kanye wrote where he called her a bitch. Oh, fuck. Uh, and I haven't even touched the fucking Katy Perry beef that over some fucking backup dancers. I mean, the whole thing is just... This is so fucking stupid, that's just how we do it these days, apparently. I mean, Yoko Ono broke up the fucking Beatles, but, you know, they didn't write a beef song. 
Never mind. On top of this, it became really obvious that Taylor Swift was not exactly uh, real. A series of high-profile romances and subsequent breakup songs were one thing, but the one thing the internet cannot stand for, an aggression that cannot stand, is a manufactured romance. Hiddle Swift! Rumors swirled that Taylor was not the sweet, innocent girl her publicist said she was, and her hashtag squad goals might be a little bit more something like hashtag economic goals. By mid-2016, the Swift brand was tarnished. I mean, not broken, but definitely tarnished. But then an old demon would take on a new tangerine-hued form in the all-consuming topic of the 2016 election, the election that would not die. Swift's deafening silence as the nation was queuing up to take sides in the battle for the soul of America became so much more noticeable as Trump happened. Going back to the beginning of her career, Swift's politics were amorphous, but in the face of the Twitler, people started thinking that Taylor was practicing the ancient art of qui tacit consenti, which is Latin for silence equals consent, and you just wish that you knew that or that you had Googled it like I had before I wrote it in the script. And what was even worse? What was even worse? What if? What if Taylor actually voted for Donald Trump? <laughs> Let's just put it out there. Taylor Swift's politics are just fucking irrelevant to me as Murray Turtlewood, the kid in third grade who shit his pants when I hit him with a dodgeball. Look what you made me do! What the hell's wrong with you? The same way the politics of Kanye West, whom, if you will recall, glommed on to Trump like a leech under the balls of a swamp dweller, they don't mean shit to me. The same way I don't give a fuck if any musician, movie star, comedian, or podcast host votes for anyone. Except you, Mike Pesca. I hurt you, Mike. I want to be your friend. And Swift does not owe any of us her political views. In a lot of ways, I respect her keeping her fucking politics to herself. And frankly, if a lot of people <laughs> could have fucking kept their mouths shut in 2016, we might not be in this situation we are today. I'm looking at you, Susan Sarandon. I'm looking at you. Demanding someone reject or endorse a candidate because you do or do not like that candidate is not the way it works in America, and shame on anyone who thinks Taylor Swift or anyone else is obligated to explain to you who they are voting for and why they voted for them. But at the same time, a lot of people find Taylor Swift's brand of feminism just a touch out of touch because Swift branded herself a feminist and espoused a certain kind of female empowerment that struck many people as the sort of shallow, entitled, white female feminism that leaves out the struggle of women of color, LBGTQ women, and anyone without a few million dollars in a Tony Manhattan address. For a musician, Swift has been really fucking tone deaf. And if it occurs to me this is the case, 
and I'm a middle-aged white dude, it is ringing a fucking gong for those more connected to feminism and the problems of minorities that Swift feminism is more of a marketing tool than a genuine expression of solidarity with women. Swift's recent sexual assault lawsuit of a creepy radio DJ who grabbed her ass during a photo shoot could have been a powerful moment to make a statement on the sexual on sexual assault, whereas it seemed like it was more of a convenient prelude to dropping her latest album. It's not exactly a victory for feminism. It's creepy and in bad tasting. It's just offensive to me. In fact, it kind of seems like Taylor is her name, but Becky is her game. From the roots, five types of Becky, then this is the first type and most prominent type, the Rebecca, it's easy to recognize a Rebecca. She can't understand how anyone could be cruel to a puppy, but she turns the channel when they talk about Trayvon Martin. She's gluten-free and eats only free-range chicken, but will call the cops if she spots a suspicious-looking hoodie-wearing teenager in her neighborhood. In the South, she often wears dresses and cowboy boots. She sometimes wears umbros and flip-flops. She always wears privilege. Who is Becky? And why is Taylor Swift the embodiment of a basic Beckiness? That brings us to the way back. Find your way back. Find your way back to her heart. Find your way back. Find your way back to her heart. In 1847, William Thackeray brought us the OG Becky in Vanity Fair. Uh, that, that, that was his novel, not, not, not the magazine. Rebecca Sharp was basic in the extreme, a vapid social climber with no regard for the damage her ascent does to those around her. Thackeray himself described Becky as of a wild and roving nature, inherited from her father and mother, who were both, who were both bohemians by taste and by circumstance. It seems that Becky Sharp succeeds in establishing herself in Vanity Fair at the cost of the lives of two men and the alienation of all her friends and family. There was little, if anything, Becky Sharp would not do to get ahead, and I guess a charitable reader might read Becky Sharp as a victim of victorious society, the rampant classicism and misogyny of the times, and a less kind of interpretation of Becky is that she's the kind of just human being, forget that she's a woman, who doesn't give a fuck about anything except getting what they want, no matter who it hurts. But Becky is also the stand-in for the all-American girl, the classic example of the woman who every man wants but can never quite obtain, as portrayed in Tom Sawyer's blonde and bewitching Becky Thatcher, the kind of blonde ingenue that seems to fill the generic desires of American men, not so much for who she is, but as just the blank canvas they can fill their own fantasy of womanhood upon. Huh, I think I've mentioned that. Becky Thatcher and Taylor Swift share this basic Beckiness in their lack of real personhood. I can forgive Becky Thatcher for being who she is because she's the creation of the author Mark Twain. Taylor Swift is the creation of a publicist and a marketing department. And Becky Thatcher was a literary creation and designed to appeal to a simpler time and a simpler place, whereas Taylor Swift is a marketing and media creation designed to appeal, to appeal to the most possible people across the biggest possible platforms to make the most money. 
But the Becky that we know and love today is the product of the bard Sir Mix-a-Lot, who brought Becky into the modern age for modern women with his magnum opus, Baby Got Back. Oh my god, Becky, look at her butt. It is so big. She looks like one of those rap guys' girlfriends. Who understands those rap guys? They only talk to her because she looks like a total prostitute, okay? I mean, her butt is just so big. I can't believe it's just so round. It's like out there. I mean, gross. Look. She's just so black. I like big butts and I cannot lie. The modern Becky is a well-refined mix of Becky Sharp, Becky Thatcher, spiced with a rich melange of white privilege and bourgeois class complacency. Becky is a human Ugg boot. Becky has done star turns of late in pop music and has come out the other side with her hair rather must. A rapper by the name of Plies crafted the consummate Becky song in 2010, but it was Beyonce's Lemonade trashing Becky with the good hair that basic Beckys became persona non grata, to the point that where a lot of sensitive Beckys are saying that the actual term Becky itself is racist. And Swift's new album Reputation seems to be a commentary on all of this Becky bashing going on. I mean, that is what some critics are saying, particularly New York Magazine's Mark Harris, who called the album the first piece of Trump-era pop culture in an article just as damning as it sounds. Quoting from Harris's article from Vulture, Look What You Made Me Do, it's right there in the title, is an anthem that turns the abrogation of personal responsibility into a posturing statement of empowerment. It embraces the possibility of calling a do-over as a form of self-realization and imagines a world in which a clean slate means never having to say you're sorry because every conceivable way you lash out must be someone else's fault. Is Taylor Swift to blame for anything? How can any of us know? There was violence on many sides. Many, many sides. Damn, that's cold. I haven't heard the song other than snippets hither and yon, and indeed I have no plans to listen to the song or the remainder of the album because frankly, it's not for or about me. All the struggles of a young, beautiful, blonde, filthy, rich white girl are as relevant to me as the struggles of a small arthropod on the reef in Australia. It's just different worlds. If Taylor Swift wants to write songs taking umbrage on the unfair way she's been treated by the press and her peers, that's cool. If people want to buy her songs about umbrage, that's cool. If Taylor wants to claim she's a feminist without doing anything to actually empower women other than herself, that's, oh, that's not cool, but that's not something I can really do anything about. And is Taylor Swift a Republican? I'm willing to bet she is. Does it matter if Taylor Swift is a Republican? Fuck no. Taylor Swift is no one. She's not even a musician. Taylor is a music brand. And I'm not saying she isn't talented musically. She clearly is. I heard her earlier works, and I kind of liked them. Her country works was kind of that much borderline lesbian folk au revoir that dominates my playlist. Candlelight. The Indigo Girls playing. You're goddamn right. I'm going to listen to the Indigo Girls as soon as I'm done recording tonight. But she's a brand like Nike or Apple or Louis Vuitton. And brands are not who you should be looking to for political thinking. 
They don't do that kind of thing unless it's been vetted through a massive marketing strategy meeting. I promise you Taylor's feminism was ran through a focus group in middle America where random groups of mothers were gathered in malls, paid 50 bucks to hear a selection of statements on feminism and rate them from the most to the least threatening. And then the least threatening ones were sent to a crack team of copywriters who workshopped them into a form guaranteeing to test well between the 12 and 24 demographic and then presented to our manager is in a truly epic pitch presentation. It's the very, very best thing that Saatchi and Saatchi has to offer. Or to put it another way, as my friend Kimberly said, Taylor Swift is as feminist as my left testicle, which makes more sense when you realize that Kimberly does not have a left testicle or indeed any testicles at all, unless you count those she keeps in a jar because she fucking told that guy to keep his hands to themselves. What I'm saying is, is that Taylor doesn't speak for women in general. Taylor is speaking for herself, and you know what? It's America, and that's cool. We want to treat pop music and pop musicians as though they were an embodiment of a generation's struggle, their voice, that you can glean something about the people who bought the music rather than the people who made the music. We want to think that if we just understand what they are saying, it will somehow grant us insight into a generation. Yeah, it uh, doesn't really work like that. For all the 60s gave us some of the best fucking music ever made, music deeply in touch with the zeitgeist of the most turbulent moment in recent history, it also gave us this. Which debuted exact same time that Martin Luther King was assassinated. And I'm fairly sure that this song, albeit was from England, which went to number four on the Hot 100 in the same month that Martin Luther King was assassinated, did not capture the social zeitgeist of April 1968. The world is on fire and you're singing about love in your tummy? Yeah. I don't think that's the fucking thing, the message that people were trying to get across at the time. Let's talk about me. I was a teenager in the 80s, the decade of corporate rock. It was like rock music by committee. A lot of people thought that Reagan was going to nuke the entire planet without a moment's notice because, you know, he kind of said that that was exactly the kind of thing he might do. Do you know how pop culture responded to Ronald Reagan? Let's just say for every Joshua Tree, there were at least five Bobby McFerrins. Need a better example? The movie Top Gun was a hand job to the Reagan era. If, you know, the Reagan era got off by watching shirtless sweaty men play volleyball in slow-mo homoerotic action. Yes! Yes! Oh, God, yes! While the world watching horror as a possible senile old man forgot where he was while criminal conspiracies were transpiring right in front of him, the collective popular culture of an entire decade of youths said, nah, we're okay because we're all about... gonna look on today's music which is even more corporate and even more devoted to the idea of being the least offensive most marketable least confrontational and most brand aware than even milly fucking vanilli could ever dream of 
to lead the resistance and neither should you. There are a lot of bands out there who are making legitimate music about the world we live in today. Or rather, I assume they are because again, I stopped listening to pop music in the 90s. And even then, I wasn't too keen on what I was hearing. I mean, I couldn't even understand what Cobain was saying and I was in my 20s. It just sounded like a bunch of screaming to me, I don't know. I am not old, you are old. If you're looking for a voice of a generation, maybe don't look at people whose lives are portrayed in a fucking hashtag or who shill Diet Coke and movie theater ads or embody some sort of a title rich white privilege for rich white women and then claim to speak for women in general when it's economically convenient to do so? There are better people out there and better music to listen to. I guess that's, that's what they tell me. I don't really know what the fuck that I'm talking about because I, I thought that Don't Stop Believing was kind of a kick-ass song long before The Sopranos made it ironically cool. On Oops! The Podcast, join me, comedian Julio Gallarotti, as I examine everyday life, the mistakes, the bad decisions, the goals, the jokes, the social engagements, and all things in between. I'm joined every week by producer and personal confidant Ryan Lynch, various other comedians for witty, candid, and intoxicating conversation. Our listeners love Oops! for sophisticated banter, aka your mom could listen, and many feel like they're in the room with us chopping it up with old pals. You can find every episode of the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or YouTube. That is it for our show this week. Another week where the content is hopefully evergreen and as patently unimportant as we can make it without digging into our deeply held problems with the movie 16 Candles. It's incredibly racist. Super racist. But hey, there's always next week's show. Speaking of next week's show, you want to know how you can help contribute to that show happening? No, Gavin, not by writing scripts that don't suck. That isn't even on the list. Although if you have a script that don't suck, you you can completely send it to us. There are a lot of ways you can participate. It's easy like Sunday morning. And then one of those ways is to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts. It helps people be an easy lover when they're looking for a new podcast to listen to. You can also rock our cradle of love on our Patreon page, patreon.com slash whatthehellpodcast. If you think we give love a bad name as a podcast, Check out my Twitter feed at the hell underscore podcast and the show name on Facebook. All of our power of love is at www.whatthehellpodcast.com and the show and the show name on SoundCloud. For me, your host, Stone in Love, Dave Bledsoe, producer, I want to know what love is, Gavin, and all the other fictional glory of loves on this show. We want to say, you didn't really think we were going to get through this episode without me playing this song did you we'll see you all unless of course you don't want to come back after the song next week
Someone always playing corporation games. Who cares the law?